This is your host, Tia. This is your host, Tia. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Top 10. Why? Geek Vibe Nation. Geek Vibe Nation. 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 The Top 10. The Top 10. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to another awesome episode of the Top 10 by Geek Vibe Nation. As always, I'm your host, Tia, and I have with me my amazing co-host, Brittany. How are you doing this morning? I'm good. Just still uh, singing the Top 10, Top 10, like as soon as it starts. I hear it in my nightmare. No, I'm joking. My my sweet, sweet dreams. (laughs) I was going to say that when I say uh, the top 10 by Geek Vibes Nation, in my head, the Geek Vibes Nation is coming out as if Juwan is saying it. <laughs> I don't know why. Geek Vibes Nation, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, my God. Every time now I say absolutely, you point it out, and I'm like, oh, I could never use this word again. Uh, he's gonna hear one day and be like y'all are fired I don't want anything to do with y'all it might happen so let's just say it as much as possible while we're on air (laughs) I know I know yeah 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 we gotta do it we gotta do it but yeah we're here for another top 10 Um, for those who don't know it's spring ahead so you might want to check your clocks even though I feel like it was more of a big deal back in the day before, like, really you had, say, cell phones because it's like, oh, my God, I have to change every clock in my life and remember that the time has changed. But pretty much everything's digital and just changes on its own. You wake up, you look at your phone, you're like, all right, that's the correct time. I don't have to do anything. The only thing I had to do is change my microwave clock, and that was about it. So, right. Yeah. Well, that's like uh, I had to change my uh, alarm clock, but because you know I sleep through, I could sleep through the apocalypse. But uh, I was gonna say I'm excited about having extra daylight because on Sundays when I work, it's always like like pitch black by the time I like get home, and I feel like oh I didn't even get a day, so I'm excited to have more daylight when I get off work. I'm excited for more daylight, and obviously now this is going to be the start of the spring, and then we'll get to the summer, and I'm just really looking forward to being in the pool again, but I almost am a little disappointed to hear that it's spring, just because I was really holding out for, like, a snowstorm. We had literally in New York one snow that was barely a snow. It was a dusting, and that was it, and it's crazy compared to, say, last year when there was, like, three massive snowstorms. And I don't know. I was just holding out hope that we'd have at least one. Even though it's a slight inconvenience, I like the snow, and it just, I don't know, makes me feel good. And it's a little disconcerting, the fact that we had pretty much no snow. I'm like, oh, here you go, global warming. It's, It's really coming. We had no snow in New York. I was going to say, it was fairly like, oh, a mild winter here. And I can't, And I, at, at first I was like, well, maybe I just am used to it because, you know, I worked outside in Kansas during last winter and that was freaking miserable. So I was thinking back to like this winter, I was like, man, it's really mild. 
when I thought about it, I think our coldest day in Arkansas was like 20 degrees, which isn't even that that bad. And we didn't even get like, we didn't, I think we got one day where we got like five seconds of flurries and that's the most we got. Yeah, I want to say it was the same thing. It got down to like, say, 10 degrees at some point, but that was for like one day or so when I was the kid. All of winter was like 10 degree days. So it's just very strange, but. Here we are, springtime is upon us. Um, happy International Women's Day as well. Um, Brittany and I are obviously. I didn't know that women. was today. Yeah, it's today. Um, I feel a little like I've slacked because I was planning on doing this article where it was like, you know, the best uh, female led movies, and it's still just in draft form because I've barely uh... worked on it. But, but Kelly. Uh, one of our contributors at Geek Vibes is a team player, and she did the uh, best female-led TV shows. And that's an actual article. It's up on our site. And just check it out because women power, you know what I'm saying? But um, that is not the topic of our top ten. Our top ten is the top ten movies based on real life or real-life events. I didn't know, like, really how to word that. I was just like, yeah, yeah no, I get but... you. <laughs> It's crazy because there's a lot of movies that come out and they're not, say, like, necessarily promoted as being, like, autobiographies or being based on real events. But then you'll look at, say, the Wikipedia and they're like, this movie uh, drew inspiration from the real-life events or based on this real-life event. So there's a lot out there. And I was looking through my list and a lot of them are favorites of mine, so I thought that this would be a really good um, topic to kind of go through this Sunday. What did you say? <laughs> no, I love it. I, I I was sitting there, too, and there was a couple of movies when I was looking through that I was like, that was based on romance? What? And so I, I, I had that moment, too, where I was like, man, I was like, for a second, I was like, do I know that many movies? Well, while I, I got looking, I was like, oh, Oh, okay. Okay. I would probably say that my list alone is like over 10 movies. So I'm like, I'm good. I feel like we're not going to have any overlap because I have a lot of spares. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So um, I think that we should probably just hop right into it. But before I do, um, I like to now kind of say a message from a friend of the podcast. Uh, as I say all the time, I'm obsessed with this podcast, They Call This a Movie, and the gentlemen who do that podcast also do a D&D podcast called Stranger Damies, so they were kind enough, first of all, they've been plugging our show uh, every episode, which is really nice, so I want to plug their show, and the uh, host there, Anthony Del Vecchio, wrote me a nice little excerpt to say because I have no idea about D&D so I was like you need to put something together for me to uh, you know plug so Stranger Damies is the ongoing real play D&D podcast from the main Damie family of podcasts join them every Wednesday as the wild stallions traverse the many traps and tribulations that Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition has to throw in their path there's elves weird half-dragon people, conspiracy to uncover, and more references to the 1980s and Ready Player One. 
Subscribe to the podcast on all podcast services by searching Stranger Damies and follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Stranger Damies. And Stranger Damies is also a proud member of Geek Vibes Nation. And you can, of course, find us at geekvibesnation.com. So if you are into D&D like Brittany is, please make sure that you check out their Stranger Damies every Wednesday. I was going to say, d is a wild ride, so I think it would definitely be something to check out. It's funny because, you know, their team, I guess, is called Wild Stallions, but they put Ys in them, so it's like W-Y-L-D-S-T-A-L-L-Y-N-S. I'm like, I see what you did there. <laughs> I, I was just, I'm picking up what you're putting down. I'm smelling what you're stepping in. That's terrible. <laughs> I know, but, that was um, always the worst. Well, just like you. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Whoa. Speaking of the worst, I, I was talking to you and I was like, oh, you know, ready for the podcast. Toby has my cat. He has not left me alone since I came home from that trip. And I got a swift little claw right across the nose, him trying to love on me. And I was like, oh, this love hurts just like Tia's love. Wow. I have, to wow. Send you, I have to send you this video that explores why some cats are so clingy because, as you know, our orange cat, Sunny, is the clingiest. And it's something like they don't, per, like, first of all, you're an object of comfort, but they don't perceive you as, like, having anything else important to do in your life other than just being there for them to like cling on to and I'm like that's pretty correct I was like you know what I could believe that because I I will be streaming and suddenly Toby's like right in the middle of the screen he's his claws are trying to go into the mic he's like on my lap he's like kneading on my knee but his claws are going inside my knee and I'm like do you not understand what mom is doing here right now buddy funny because everyone thinks that cats are so antisocial and they aren't loving and they don't show you affection and I challenge any of those people to come to my house and see how utterly freaking attached Sunny is. It's just like oh I my gosh. It. <laughs> I would say having met Sunny and seeing like I think that cat loves Polly more than you do. I mean, that cat definitely, like, would die if something happened to Polly. (laughs) He would sell your soul for a corn chip. He'd be like, man, I'm stuck with you? Holy shit. But, yeah, so that's my little spiel about cats right now. Let's get into this top ten, and always you're going to start us off. What is your number ten? I'm going to start out small, but, like, one of my favorite movies uh, is a movie that you know I have watched on repeat a million and ten times. I used to watch it, like, five times a day, just let it grow on repeat. I'm I'm already writing it down because I know what it is. (laughs) (laughs) Which I I forgot it was based on a real story. Uh, I'm going to go on Lawless uh, with... uh, 
with Shia LaBeouf. We had uh, Tom Hardy. I can't remember the other brother's name. He doesn't matter. No, showcase. <laughs> yes. Oh, and Guy Pierce was in it. Uh, the story of uh, the wettest county. And uh, I try to remember the full title to that. But apparently, you know, Lawless is about uh, during the Prohibition, you have three brothers dealing in uh, moonshine uh, down in the South and making quite the profit from it. They're kind of rough and rowdy. And, well, uh, space, Special Agent, I can't remember his name, but he's played by Guy Pierce. Uh, comes in. Yes, and he is coming down as a corrupt lawman that's going to put a stop to it or, you know, get its own fingers in the pie. And uh, apparently the uh, book, it was a book first, which was written by the great nephews. I mean, the great nephew of the brothers. I don't know which uh, which brother he came from. I think he came from the youngest, played by Shia LaBeouf. And... Uh, yeah, it just like it was interesting because I had watched that movie so many times, and when I was going through, I I had totally forgotten that it was written by the great nephew, and I was like, man, I was like, you know, that movie is so wild. The brothers are so rough and tumble, but it makes sense, especially from being from the south and the like the moonshine business. Uh, that's why it became very interesting when they started selling moonshine in liquor stores. And all the people in the South were like, oh, this ain't real moonshine. This is only what proof? Oh, you know, real moonshine is like can make you go blind, basically, if it gets in your eyes. But um, I, I, looking back on that, I was like, I know they definitely took some liberties with it. But knowing, you know, the prohibition was very much real, very much uh, still alive in Arkansas. I live in a dry county, and as Tia knows, I remember uh, when you first came to Arkansas and we went to uh, Searcy, which is a big religious town because of their college, is a uh, religious college. Uh, and I, you, we were at Chili's, and you're like, man, I'd like to get a drink. And I'm like, oh, it's a dry county. And you're like, what the fuck is a dry county? Are you living in the prohibition over here? So uh, I, literally I, I, I literally didn't think that that was still a thing. I was like, the prohibition ended in, in the fucking 30s. What are you talking about that there's still places in America? Like, that blew my mind. I know. I was when I was streaming the other day, and I talked about something like, "Oh, I had to drive like an hour away to get liquor." They were like, "Well, what the hell? Did you really like that liquor store?" And I'm like, "No, I live in a dry county, and so many of them are from Europe." My viewers and they were like, "What the hell is a dry county?" I was like, uh, "The worst. Uh, it is. Uh, it is quite the hassle, but." Uh, it was interesting that, you know, getting to see it from that point of view, and as we saw, the Prohibition did not end up, we had speakeasies. They were, I think, Winston Churchill around that time. You could actually be prescribed alcohol, and he had, like, basically a doctor's note that said he could have as much alcohol as he wanted. But it's so interesting. That whole movie is so great because, obviously, as I said, it's an exaggeration, but getting to see the rough-and-tumble lifestyle 
and how the moonshine business could be was definitely like interesting like how they had to hide their distilleries how uh, how uh, much like money went into it because Charles Riggs didn't care because oh he just had that sense of justice no, he was a dirty, uh, dirty cop. You know, he's from Chi- from Chicago, so uh, you could definitely, you know, it was interesting too to see like, oh, well, we're Southern and you're just like a Yankee, and I'm like, yep, that sounds that sounds very accurate for the time. I love Lawless, so it's based on the book called The Wettest County in the World. And it's written by Matt Bondurant, who his grandfather was Jack, and Jack was the character played by Shia LaBeouf, which I do attribute this movie being, like, the first movie that I actually liked Shia LaBeouf in, because prior to that, it was, like, the Transformers movies, and I couldn't stand him in those movies. But Lawless is just so, so great. Like, um, I think some of, like, the historical inaccuracies come from say, the fact that the real Forrest Bondurant was, like, thin and sickly, and Tom Hardy was, like, beefed up from playing Bane in The Dark Knight Rises. he just came back from Bane. So, there's that, but if you, I read some of the autobiography, I didn't finish it, but there were, they did touch upon a lot of the things that happened, say, in the movies, and some things that we didn't see, like, apparently, and you can probably say, I mean, he was writing this about his grandfather right and writing it about his great uncle so it's like a lot of it also is say folklore but you know Boris Bondurant was once like trampled by a bunch of logs and in the in the book it does talk about him getting his throat split so but um and because it's International Women's Day we have to acknowledge Jessica Jessica Chastain's Maggie who truly was like the heart of the movie. So she's good. So good. She's, yeah, she certainly had Forrest's heart, but um, she even says at some point, you know, you're so damn, you know, stupid that you believe your own, like, myth pretty much. Because he is, he, like his own roar. Yeah, because, you know, he was like, I thought I walked to the hospital. And she's like, you dumb fuck. I drove you to the hospital. What makes you think that you could have walked to the hospital with holding your throat pretty much together, like, um, right, right, that whole movie was so amazing, first of all, the soundtrack, I loved the soundtrack of that film, I love the way that it was shot, um, getting to kind of see the different, uh, perspectives, and one of the things, I guess, in the book, like, you know, they never went over the fact that, like, say, Howard was married at the time, um, I know, and that but, she, like, lived up in the hills, and that he yeah, just come like, and visit her. Yeah, but I guess they were just kind of like, you know, that's too much to pack into one movie. But there are so many great, like, scenes. You know, one of the best scenes ever is freaking Forrest just sitting up on his deck, and he's just drinking some coffee as those lawmen come. And they're like, where's your brother, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, have you met Howard? And Howard just barrels through. And like, <laughs> oh, my God. It's so good. I knew you were going to put this on there. Like, I had it on my list. I'm like, I'm not even going to say anything because I know that she's going to put it out. And I'm not disappointed by the fact that it's the number 10 here. 
Right. I, I sat back and I was like, man, I know it's one of my favorite movies, but I was like, there is better ones that deserve to be higher that I'm sure we'll get to. But I was like, I'll just, I'll go ahead and start it easy. <laughs> I enjoy it. I love it. Wallace is certainly one of those movies that um, I feel like is underrated now. I feel like at the time when people were just, because people were just getting into Tom Hardy, right? Um, yeah, so, Right, so when this came out, it's like people ate it up, but now it's like Tom Hardy is so well-known um, that this movie's kind of removed, but this movie also, Jessica Chastain, um, she attributes this movie to really kicking off her career because she's like, you know, I've tried for you. Because, you know, Jessica Chastain was, I think, like 30-something in this movie, right? Like maybe 32 or even 35. But my whole point is she's like, I've been trying to get that break for years in Hollywood, and this is finally it. So while this is definitely a great movie, I'm, I love reading up on the lore of it, and I love that it's the number 10, so awesome. Uh, I'm going to hit the number 9, and I'm going to put this a little, uh, you know, lower as well, even though it's a fantastic movie, but it's just, as you said, there's others that I want to put above it. But I feel like this movie is one of those movies that isn't the typical, uh, what would you say, a typical, like, biography pretty much. And it's The Wolf of Wall Street. Because I didn't realize that this was, like, based on a true story at first, right? You know, it's so crazy and so, um, like, extravagant and everything that you're like, this has to be made up. But... The Wolf of Wall Street by Martin Scorsese starring Leonardo DiCaprio is based on a real, like, person who um, really was in that position of the movie. So, to me, it's, it's so wild because it's not really, it's not really told like, say, a real-life tale because it's so crazy and you just think, oh, so this is so exaggerated. So exaggerated, thank you. That's what I was trying to think of. But, yeah, it's so exaggerated that you're like, no way is something like this real. But, no, Jordan Belfort, who Leonardo DiCaprio played, really existed. And it's insane. Like, you know, you have Leonardo and everyone says this, and I have to agree with them, that Leo should have won the Oscar for this performance. He was so good in it um, because he's so crazy. I mean, you got this character that's literally, he, he starts off the movie pretty much by telling you, like, all right, so I take Xanax uh, in the morning, and then I take this, and then I take that, and then I'm on Coiludes, and then I'm drinking 24-7. It's like, how well, are you alive? <laughs> definitely ages it. Yo, well, yeah, because it doesn't even exist anymore. So you can see, like, yeah. it's 80s, you know? Um, and you have Leo in it, and Margot Robbie is in it, um, and they're just great at it. There's just so many good performances, and of course we have to mention that John Bernthal is in it playing, like, the most exaggerated, like, caricature ever as Brad. And it's just, he is one of my favorite characters he's done, I will not lie, though. <laughs> And I won't lie either, it's it's one of the best, because I just love, like, the pencil scene where, like, none of the other people are getting it, but Brad gets why, like, you know, how to sell him that pencil. 
but yeah. uh, or pen or whatever. But I have to say really quick before I go further. So there's a you watched it with me, right? Like I feel like we watched it together. Yeah, we watched it together last time. Not last time I was in New York, but the time before last. So there's that scene where at first you think Jordan Belfort is going to retire because of the legal issues that they're in. But then he's like sitting there talking to his company. He's like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not fucking going anywhere. And um, so during the summer, you know, when the whole Sony and Disney thing happened, and it's like, oh, my God, Tom Holland's not going to be Spider-Man in the MCU anymore, right? But then they, like, finally came to an agreement. Tom Holland posted that on Instagram to announce to people that he was still. Yes. Like, that's just so great. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. Um, but, yeah, that movie is really intense, and it is exaggerated. Pretty much like a nonstop party because they're just, like, screwing hookers constantly. They're doing all sorts of drugs. They're on, like, you know, yachts and everything. But before I pass it on to you, I have to kind of highlight one of the scenes that I was thinking about the other day because I'm, like, fun as that movie was, there is one, like, absolutely uh, heart-pounding scene that I really was, like, on the edge of my seat watching. And it's the scene where, towards the end, where Margot Robbie's character tells Leto's character that she's leaving him. And he's so hopped up on shit that he's, like, running to get their daughter. She's running after him. And he literally, like, Oh, I know, yes. And he takes the kid and gets into the car. And I was like, oh, my God, is he, like, really going to get into an accident right now? And luckily, like, it didn't, you know, escalate to that. But as fun as that movie was, that scene still, like, had me on the edge of my seat. It was so incredibly powerful and, like, heart-stomping. So I had to kind of highlight that before I pass it along to you. I was like... You know, there's been a lot of movies that they're super, like, fun-loving at first, and then they get super stressful. It's sort of like, uh, what was the stripper movie that everybody was obsessed with back in the day? Uh, Magic Mike. Yeah. It has a moment like that, where it's like, oh, let's have all this, like, fun-loving, you know. Oh, it's just sex appeal. And then it gets super stressful, like, something like that. Right, like, at the end, right in the middle, and I was like, were you like, oh, yeah, we got to teach our audience, like, a lesson before this ends. It can't be all just uh, wild shit happening. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, how it feels like, that's how it feels like with, uh, say, Jojo Rabbit, and I say this because anyone who hasn't seen the movie just has seen the trailers, and they're like, oh, it's just some stupid comedy where some kid has Hitler as an imaginary friend. And I'm like, that is, first of all, the beginning of the movie. And that's how they frame the movie for the trailers. But you get into it, and it's like that second half of the movie is so serious and so, like, tragic and everything that I feel like they did all that just to get you into the theaters to teach you a lesson. Right. Like, probably to show, like, how, you know, um, how people kind of fell into that in a way too. So it's just like, but golly, it's like, that's a lot of stress. That's a lot of stress. My heart hurts. 
but Wolf of Wall Street, I think, was a great um, movie to kind of just be absolutely insane. Leo, I feel like it was definitely one of his best performances just because I don't think we get to see him like that very often, and he really just, like, chews the scene as much as possible. Um, I love the one scene where Brad is supposed to be meeting up with Jonah Hill's character for the briefcase. Yes, I was just about to bring that up. Yes. Yes. Go ahead. Go ahead. Talk about it. (laughs) Oh, no. I just love that uh, John Bernstall couldn't keep a straight face (laughs) for that one scene. When, uh, what's his name again? It's, uh, oh... Oh, what's the other actor's name? Not John Bernthal. Jonah Hill. Yeah, Jonah Hill. Whenever he starts going off and, like, uh, John Bernthal can't get a word in as Brad, and you can see him look away and hold his mouth because he's laughing, but he's just, like, trying to play it off as, like, oh, that unamused grin, like, oh, is this another effort serious kind of laugh. And then... And Jonah's just still going on. He's just still, like, reaming him. And I think that's why he's such a good actor is because Jonah Hill can just, like, go on. It makes me think of, uh, what was it, Superbad that he was in? Yeah. And where he can just go off on these tangents. I'm like, you're just a very angry little man, aren't you? <laughs> and one more scene before we move on. But the 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 real... They were on Quaaludes quite often in this movie, but the one where they're on the phone with each other, and I guess Jonah Hill had messed up in some capacity, and Leo needs to, like, get there to him to fix things, but they're both so messed up on Quaaludes. And, like, uh, Leo is just literally crawling because he cannot stand, and he gets in the car, and he's like, oh, Somehow I made it there perfectly, but then you look and his car is like a freaking wreck because he did not get there. He did not get there in one piece. I, I remember because I hadn't seen the movie and when I was watching it with you, I stared at you and I went, how did he get home? How did he do that? And you're like, just wait, just wait, just watch. Yeah, just, just watch. <laughs> just watch. Yeah, he did not, but uh, yeah, that was a great movie and you wouldn't have really thought that it was based on someone real, but it is. This guy completely existed, um, and it's just a wild ride. So, yeah, Wolf of Wall Street is my number nine. Brittany, what is your number eight? I think I'm going to have to go with just looking at it. I'm going to go ahead and get it out of the way. Uh okay. we're on a, a Leonardo DiCaprio uh, little... Uh, little steal there go with uh titanic one of the uh yeah yeah because i um i was like man i'll go ahead and throw this one out i mean obviously we know about the titanic it was supposed to be the largest ship but apparently you know it's one thing that the iceberg hit right but i think when i read i think they only had like 20 lifeboats for that well, it was massive. supposed to be unsinkable. Well, yeah, it was supposed to be unsinkable. But, you know, you think about it, what were the odds that it's like maiden voyage, the unsinkable ship? 
was like it's almost like the you know the fallacy of man you know believing like oh we're unsinkable and god rolls in one day and is like you know what i think they got a little big for their britches what should we do but i think what gets me the most about the event itself is that they 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 sold it as unsinkable which interesting side note of that i brought up the titanic the other day to aaron and he said oh did you know that uh his either great great grandparents or something had tickets to actually go on the titanic but they ended up not going and i was like you almost didn't exist buddy you almost weren't around and T.S. going yes it was so close but, um, I wasn't going to say anything. I was going to message you, but I'm glad we got there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, obviously the uh, Jack and Rose uh, romance is the made-up part, but the event is completely true. And I'll never forget, like, you know, I always glazed over their romance because I didn't care as much about that. But the ending scene when the boat is going down, when the ship is going down, and there's that one scene where the old couple are too old and too trapped and they just hold each other in bed as they die. Gets me every time. Or you see the mother in the water that's frozen holding her infant. Like the imagery is so powerful. And I was going to say in Branson, Missouri, which is fairly close, they have a Titanic museum that when you, when you go in, they give you a passport. And not like a real one, but like a, like a, like a, I'm trying to think. They give you a passport, but it's of a real person, but, you know, obviously a replication. But uh, Mm -hmm. they give you a passport, and you learn about your person, about what age they were, if they were a child, were they uh, first class, second class, third class. And you go through this whole museum, and they have water that is the exact temperature of what these people would have been dealing with. And you stick your hand in, and you see how long you can stand it. And you can only stand it for, like, 10 seconds, Tia. Like, I have never touched water that was colder than that. And so uh, as you go through, at the very, very end, not until the end, you learn if your passenger lived or died. And it's just, like, amazing, incredible so whenever you hear about the Titanic and it was such a big deal and, you know, we always grow up, grew up hearing about it and then you see the movie and you kind of feel like you're in those shoes, it really hit home how tragic the Titanic really was because it would be easy to be like, yeah, it was just a ship that went down. You know, people die all the time. But to see, like, that desperation and how few ships that they had, it was very... Uh, very heart-wrenching. I thought that was a, it, it kind of goes along with not exactly, but you know how uh, with tragic events like 9-11 and uh, we know them and we hit them close, but sometimes seeing them represented in a movie where we feel like we're right there with these characters or, you know, and at those times too, like real people, it, it really makes it hit home. It kind of punches you in the gut. So, yes, Titanic, going to be up there. Yeah, Titanic is one of those movies that I've seen once because I'll never see it again. And that's not a bad thing. It's like they accomplished their goals with making a movie that was so intense, that was so 
just like powerful that it's like it's you can't watch it again. And I'll actually get into that later down the line because I have a movie that's the same exact like feeling. Like I've watched it once and it's like I'll never watch it again. But not because it's a bad thing, but because it was just so powerful. And I watched Titanic on VHS when you had to put in a second tape. <laughs> there were I know, two that was VHS always, like mind blowing. <laughs> it was two tapes. But um yeah, that I, I, when I watch things, I try and put myself in people's shoes, right? And yeah. I just completely feel like mentally and emotionally exhausted because I try and put myself in their shoes. And I'm like, oh my God, that was like terrible. It's like you get, get on this boat and it's, there is no really other choice. You are completely in like victim to the elements, right? And you have to sit there and think, like, I hate to say this, like, that was God at work or something, because unthinkable, as you said, on this maiden voyage. What the fuck? But, uh, yeah, it was very, you know, like, like, that's some hell of time, then, right? Yeah, but it was beautifully shot. The, uh, if you look into, like, say, how they filmed the Titanic, where most of it was, like, little sets that they just, like, threw water in, you know, they really did just a fantastic job with that um, and transporting you into this world. And I thought that was really just a cool aspect of filmmaking. But um, what was I getting at with this? Yeah, it. I didn't mind the Jack and Rose, like, storyline. We obviously needed, like, people to follow. But, you know, the, the big joke, uh, you know, he could have fit up on that board. He could have fit yeah, up on that board. There was room, Tia. There was room. <laughs> there was room. But you think about it, like, that scene was horrifying because, like, you know, she's just swimming through, like, dead, frozen bodies just waiting. And people really did it. Like, can you imagine, like, talking to someone who was in that position and survived that? Like, that is a lifetime of trauma. Um, and that's horrible. And then, you know, you mentioned the scenes of the old couple who held each other. Well, remember the, um, the, the band, you know, like playing oh, the music. Yes, they went down. You know, and it's like so horrifying, you know, women and children first. And it's like, not even the women and children really thrived. It's like, what the hell happened here? Uh, but it, it's, it was really just a wonderful movie. It was heartbreaking. And I remember at that time, like, you know, the interest in the Titanic was really at its peak because then they had, like, the underwater exploration of the real Titanic, which is still there to this day. Um, I think I just saw something on, like, YouTube where they're like, we're going to go back to the, to the Titanic. And I'm like, it's not decomposed yet, but um, – I thought that, you know, what was really beautiful about that movie was the ending when Rose finally passes away and it's like she's finally back with Jack and she's finally back in the in the Titanic, you know, like everyone was waiting for her pretty much. And it's just so, like, beautiful but tragic at the same time. Um, I will say there is <laughs> – so back in the day I used to take ice skating lessons, right? And there Aww. is a – and there is a video recording of my grandfather taking me to the local ice skating rink. And they always played music, you know, while there was ice skating sessions. 
and Celine Dion's Titanic song was playing. My grandpa's telling me, he's like, oh, you did such a good job, Tina. And I'm like, oh, the Titanic song is playing. (laughs) That's so cute. I was like, I wasn't expecting wholesome right now, but you know what? I'll take it. There you go. But, uh, yeah, I think it – sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say two scenes that I remember from the Titanic. Well, okay, one is the scene and the other is a random fact. The scene, remember, like, when it's showing the ship, though, and you do have, like, the underwater footage, but then the ship starts coming back to life? It gave me chills as a kid. Like, you know, like, when it starts, like... Yes, like it was very reminiscent of, remember uh, Phantom of the Opera where it's like the dead decaying theater and it starts coming back to life and you're like, holy shit. But uh, I was going to say another random fact is when they found the Titanic, originally they were using that as an excuse to look for these two nuclear submarines. I think they were either Russian or something. And that they had uh, the, to get the funding to find the Titanic. They said, "Oh, we want." The Navy was like, "We want you to find this." And after they found the, uh, after they found the submarines, they were like, "Okay, now we can find the Titanic." So I just found that very interesting. Holy shit! Um, fun fact before we move on. One is that. The Titanic was not the only uh, ship to crash horrifically. There were others, the Lusitana or something, and then there was another the one. No, uh, the Lus- yeah. Lus- yes, it's like not Lithuania. It's like the I, I know what you're talking about. The one that was taken down by the Germans in World War Two. Yeah, yeah. So there was like other ones that uh, also met horrific ends. And oh shit, I forgot what else I was gonna. Say stay with this, but yeah, I don't know, the Titanic was just like, when you're talking about movies based on, like, real-life stories, you have to mention the Titanic, um, just because it was a really fucking good movie that I'll never watch again, and that's nothing against the movie, it's just, it, it, it did its job, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I completely forgot what I was going to say, because I had, like, one other, like, fun fact there in my pocket, and I'm like, now it's gone. So, sorry, everyone, for that. You it's another some... cute story. Oh. I love cute stories. <laughs> uh, I don't think so, but let's move on. <laughs> um, the next one I'll put, I don't think you've seen this, Brittany, so I'll do my best to describe it, which I think I have in the past, but let's let's do this. Um so this is probably not as well known as a as others on this list, but I really enjoy this particularly just because I enjoy Chris Evans' performance in it and it is called Puncture. Um and it was based on a real life person and a real life court case. So Chris Evans plays um this character, Mike Weiss, who is a lawyer. And, you know, everyone knows Chris Evans now as Captain America, right? Uh, Wholesome Steve Rogers. But he plays plays an intense drug addict in this movie. And I don't know who it is. 
I don't know who was worse, Chris Evans as Mike Weiss or Leonardo DiCaprio as Jordan Belfort. It's a competition, but uh, so he plays this character who's like an extreme drug addict, but he's a lawyer on top of it, and he gets this case of this woman who, um, you know, she was an ER nurse, right, and she was this like, you know, homeless drug addict comes in who's going through a bit of like a like crazy spell and she's trying to like, you know, draw blood and she, you know, sticks the needle in him, but because he like lashes, you know, it like gets up and it, it sticks her. And then she is uh contracted with HIV. And oh. but so she found out that apparently there was this thing where this company created these needles, these syringes that were pretty much like one-time uses to prevent that. The whole point was to prevent nurses and doctors from getting stuck. It's that you'd use it and immediately the afterwards the needle, uh, you know, retracts into the thing. And the hospital that she was in, and many hospitals were offered um, the, you know, they were offered these syringes, but because they were like something like crazy, like five cents, more than what they normally had, they decided to not purchase this. And so she was very much wanting to, like, sue because this was something that was completely avoidable. And, and so, now she's got to uh, live with it. Which she pretty much ends up dying because at the time it's, like, the 80s, you know, and we really didn't have the medication. Oh, yeah, it, it quickly, like, turns to AIDS. But, um... She hires uh, Mike Weiss and his partner, and they are, you know, trying to fight. And it's one of the things where it's like it should have just been a job because it's not something that they normally do. Like, and even Mike's, uh, Chris Evans' character's partner is like, this isn't normally the cases that we take. But, like, for some reason, like, Mike Weiss just feels, like, so invested in this and so passionate about, like, bringing this to justice and shining light on how the hospitals are pretty much just putting their staff members at risk for just a few cents more, you know? Um, And all the while he's battling his own inner demons. I mean, he's, you know, popping pills. He's living out of motels because his wife uh, kicked him out. You know, he's banging hookers. Yeah, he's, like, shooting up heroin and everything. Like, so bad. He goes to, like, one meeting and is, like, nose starts bleeding and the woman he's meeting with is just like go clean yourself up you're a fucking mess um but it's like all and he just looks sickly and but through a whole movie it's just him just wanting to make sure that this uh case doesn't get swept under the rug you know um and it's crazy because still to this day if you read about it you know obviously hospitals are still not using this syringe um, even though that it is, probably that is could what I was to think about that. Yeah, you know, and this was real, like, and they just decided never to go with it, um, and that really kind of sucks because it probably could have prevented so many other uh, people in the medical field from getting infected with diseases. But I just think that Chris Evans plays such a compelling character. It's completely not something that you would expect him in because, again, we're so probably used to him playing Captain America 
Or if he plays a little bit of a jackass, you know, it's like, oh, he's a playful jackass. But I don't think that people are used to seeing him uh, in such a downtrodden way where he just literally plays like such a convincing, you know, like person who's down on their luck mentally, emotionally, and even physically. Um, and I wasn't really just like, a pretty boy. Yeah, exactly. Um, and for that reason, I just really love Puncture because I think that movies like Puncture and Snowpiercer are some of his best movies that just get overlooked because of the Marvel Universe, which don't get me wrong, I fucking love him as Captain America, but he is such a better actor than what you think he is. So, yeah, so Puncture is going to be my number seven. I was going to say, on that note... You think about the, uh, like, uh, the medical professionals or, you know, that have to deal with that, but you also think about the cops. You know, like, um, I've been watching so much live PD, and all the time, if they're patting someone down, they go, do you have anything that's going to stick me? Because that's such a big concern for them, too. Mm-hmm. And you think about it, if 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 those needles were more widely available and you know, drug addicts would have a harder time trying to reuse these needles that could possibly spread to other people because people that are addicted like that do not think rashly enough to, you, you get what I mean. They, It's interesting on all fronts that if the syringes were more widely available, but that movie sounds intense. That sounds like a movie. That, you know how, um, Tian knows that I have a thing that movies that will stress me out is very hard to for me to watch. Like, uh, Aaron's been wanting me to watch this movie about 9-11, and I keep refusing because I don't feel like sobbing and being an uncontrollable mess. But I feel like that movie, for as great as it is, it sounds like a stressful ride. It's like, oh, yeah, she gets AIDS, but also he's a drug addict, and I'm like, Okay, that sounds like that sounds so fun. That sounds like a happy movie, Tia. Very oh, fun. It's not a happy. It's not a happy movie at all. Like he goes through withdrawal. He, you know, is like desperate to continue the case even after the woman dies. His partner doesn't want to pursue the case anymore because they're literally hemorrhaging money, and the partner has like a baby at home. Um, and he's just like, you know, Chris Evans' character is just spiraling. Um, and I guess, spoiler alert, but he dies of an overdose at the end. What um, the hell? <laughs> Tia! <laughs> what oh, the hell? I did think it was interesting because at some point in the movie he starts using the syringes and it's like, oh, look, see, he's seen the uh, the first-hand benefits of using these. <laughs> Tia, you're dead to me. <laughs> but yeah, she I'm sorry. That's the most depressing shit. She's like, you want to hear something funny? Uh, you want to hear about a great movie? Yeah, I would love a great movie. This one's going to destroy your heart and soul and depress you incredibly. It's a great movie. Because That's I love the, dramas and shit. I don't like stupid little, like, mindless, you know, comedies, you know? So to me, I'm like, I like freaking movies like this because it's so powerful. Like, 
if I wanted to see freaking, you know, mindless comedies, I'd watch an Amy Schumer movie or something. But anyway, uh, number seven is Puncture. Let's move right along. Brittany, what is your number six? I was going to say really quick, just I was going to tease you when you said, I love drama. I was like, no wonder you love Twitter. But I, I, I oh, just, my God. <laughs> and no wonder you like Twitch. Oh, my God. No, no joke. No joke. Uh, but <laughs> um, <laughs> on mine, I'm going to go with The Imitation Game. It's a movie that we have both seen. One of uh, the first movies I ever saw was Benedict Cumberbatch uh, about how uh, M16, the intelligence agency, uh, we have Alan Turin, who is brought in to crack Nazi codes and basically the team going about it. But as we learn through the movie, he is, in fact, gay and Back then with the British, they were very, uh, it's wild. It's wild that being homosexual in uh, England was considered illegal for the longest time. And that, uh, I'm trying to think of the words for it. In how even during that time, we think about how far we've come, that even if you did a great service, a great thing, he helped, he cracked the Nazi codes that saved no telling how many lives because of what they were able to decipher. But ultimately, he was found out for being homosexual and having to go through chemical castration that ultimately killed him through, I think it was depression and with the mix of his health being bad from uh, chemical castration and how his only only thing that was different about him was that, and it ruined his entire life no matter how much he gave back. But I think it was interesting getting to see it from the point of view because you think back to World War II, I think um, I'm trying to remember that the exact – but, like, back then – we even think about uh, concentration camps and POWs during that time that, yes, if you were Jewish and, you know, others, if you were uh, what they would consider, uh, I'm trying to think, because gypsy is actually a derogative term. I think, uh, Romanians, I'm trying to remember what the other term is, but what they consider gypsies uh, that were in prison in the concentration camps. But during that time, even after those were gotten rid of, people that were homosexual were either imprisoned or had something like they went straight from having to deal with the POW camps and the concentration camps to straight to being uh, either sent to prison, fined, all these other things for being homosexual. And you think, oh, well, that was just, you know, Nazi Germany. And it's like, no, that was happening in England at this time. And it, it just is incredible to also think back and think about how far we've come with, uh, with say, you know, gay marriage being legalized and how we look back now. I think I was saying the other day, and I'm like, can you believe that was ever, you know, not something we could do and that just now in the recent years we're making those kind of strides but then you look back at those times I think the movie itself is so incredibly touching and and you go through it you go through the movie and you're like there's no way that they would do that to him like he's so incredibly smart he's doing all these things and then to be treated that way it really for me especially like put it into perspective because 
you you hear about things, but not being uh, right there in that moment to witness what these people went through and to actually see it and you go, oh, my God, it's just, I don't know, it's pretty mind-blowing. So I think the movie did a great point of, like, hitting home because, you know, there may be some people out there that go, oh, they didn't have it so bad. And then you see that movie and you go, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it's definitely good for people to see, if that makes sense. So, believe it or not, I've actually never seen The Imitation Game, even though I should. I know, I know. It's just because, like, the story itself makes me so sad. Because, as you said, it's like Benedict Cumberbatch, who is a phenomenal actor, um, you know, playing someone like Alan Turing, who literally, like, helped end the fucking war. And it's like no, 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 you're gay, so you obviously need to get punished. And I'm like, he doesn't get, like, a get-out-of-jail-free card for pretty much a game. Oh, I know, like, right? You know, and it's just absolutely, like, plain fucking ridiculous, um, that whole thing. And then the fact that they uh, forced him to do chemical castration, I'm like, what is this? And I think I remember it was actually something recently um, – I don't remember exactly what it is, right? But there was some controversy um, about chemical castration, like, still being a thing. And someone brought up, like, I forget what it was. Like, someone was trying to say, like, you know, oh, they didn't punish gay people too hard or something like that. You know, some crazy crap, you know? Oh, that's not so bad or something. And someone was like, he literally died from it. You know, people literally die from shit like that. And it's just the whole thing just drives me nuts because you know how I am with LGBT rights. You know, that should just be a thing. And for you to, like, see that at some point it was literally treated like a crime, and again, against someone, like, you know, it shouldn't shouldn't have been a thing in the first place, right? But this wasn't just any normal civilian. This is someone who literally, like, aided in the end of, you know, this horrific war, and you still decided that at the end of it, he should be punished just because of who he has sex with. Just like, what? And and what's crazy is people had a, two two things real quick. The reason chemical castration is being brought up a lot now is because it got, I'm trying, don't, don't hold me to this. I'm just trying to remember it got brought up recently because they were uh, thinking about doing that for pedophiles, uh, that even if they're released to chemically castrate to deal with the problem, because a lot of pedophiles are repeat offenders. And But I think that's why the conversation is being brought up again. But then you think back and you go, man, okay, what if you got falsely accused? You know, that's – it's pretty – it's not – I think it's pretty permanent for that sort of thing. And we think about how it affects uh, health and mental, but then you think, oh, well, you know, if they truly are that, then yeah, that's why it's bringing up that conversation and why people are so back and forth on it. But I was going to say on the Alan Turing thing with the imitation game, people were saying that um, what's big about when he cracked the Nazi code was that the public didn't know he did that, and it was very so hush-hush and so undercover that 
to the people that prosecuted him. He wasn't some hero. He wasn't what he did wouldn't be really truly discovered until more recent times. But I think mm-hmm. that like whoever was running this should have came in and been like, that dude's a hero. Don't you know like like obviously it should have never been a thing in the first place. But to see it you think somebody would have stepped in for him, but it made it very like, we used you and now we're throwing you away. We don't really care about you at this point. And I think that's what it was so dehumanizing that to these people, it was like a, um, a, uh, like a lack of morality that if you were homosexual, and I think that's just so wild when we think about, um, we would like to think a lot of the times that, um, you know, the British are more proper and more like understanding with those things. But I think it was, it was a long time before it would even be considered not illegal. And I think that's just wild. Absolutely. I think you're 100% correct. And I mean, there are still countries like Russia um, that, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. um, And many places, say, in the Middle East where, people who are homosexual are being thrown off of rooftops and everything. So it's one of those things where, yes, this happened, what, 60, 70, 80 years ago, but it's still prevalent to this day because um, gay people are still, you know, being treated like this, and it's just wrong. So I do want to see the imitation game, but it's one of those things just like you where, like, maybe you wouldn't see a movie like Puncture because of how intense it is. It's like I know the outcome of what happens, and that just – breaks my heart and I don't think that I'm ready for that just yet but uh I was gonna say uh being gay became uh decriminalized in 1967 in the in the UK it's so crazy and then you know for a long time it was considered a mental disease and it's just like people in the past I guess yeah but I think that this uh, movie absolutely deserves to be on this list. Um, it got a lot of recognition, and I just think that Benedict Cumberbatch is a fantastic actor, so 100% I'm behind this. So I'm going to hit number five, um, and I don't know if you've seen this movie either, Brittany, but it's a really good movie, and you should see it because it's definitely a lot more uplifting than the previous two that we've talked about, <laughs> But um, and the movie is called Lion. Have you seen Lions? No. Like, I'll have to, like, look up a picture and see if it jogs my memory. Okay. So, Lion, um, which stars Dev Patel, and who's just, like, a very, like, beautiful, gorgeous man, um, <laughs> uh, plays the real-life character Saru, who um, lives in India, right? And at the young age of uh, five, okay, it says five. I'm, like, bringing it up just so that I'm, like, not butchering this, right? But so Saru, at the young age of five, gets lost uh, really, like, incredibly far away from his home one day um, and doesn't get back to his home pretty much because he lives in a very rural and poverty-stricken area. He speaks a different dialect of Indian than others do. So when he gets lost, because he gets on a train pretty much, and he gets lost in that. Um, so he can't communicate. He can't communicate with adults to try and be like, I need to get back because they speak different dialects. 
And so they're pretty much like, what the hell is this young little child doing out here? And he's just like, I need to get back to my mom. <laughs> like, yeah. he doesn't even... And so because of that, they pretty much like take him put, and I'm giving like the really short inversion here, but so pretty yeah. much they take him, they put him in an adoption center and he gets adopted by these Australian parents. So then Saru goes to live in Australia. He lives with his family there. Um, Nicole Kidman plays the adopted mother, and he pretty much just has a life there, right? He pretty much just has a life there and pretty much, like, has forgotten about his childhood, and he has friends. He's an adult now. He's going to school, and he meets a girl, and he starts dating her, and she's just like, haven't you ever kind of, like, wondered? And he's just like, I barely remember anything. But she pushes him to try to, you know, find out. She's like, you have to be able to find out. We're, like, in the 21st century. You should be able to find out, like, where your mother lives and everything. And so he pretty much, so the movie is just pretty much him just trying to, like, find his mother and all of that and trying to find what happened to him and all that. And there's just some, like, really, like, beautiful moments because, um, you know, he has, like, he loves his adopted parents, right? Like, he loves Nicole Kidman. I forget, like, who plays the father. But he loves them. And he has, like, this really, like, moment where he's just, like, you know, to uh, to the mother, like, his adopted mother, like, you know, didn't you ever think, like, because they ended up adopting, like, another Indian child who was displaced. And he's, like, didn't you ever think, like, you know, um, that you're getting these kids with, like, you know, quote-unquote baggage, you know, and blah, blah, blah. and she was like, you're my child, and I've never thought of you other than anything else. And he was always so scared to, like, tell her that he was, like, looking for his biological mother because he didn't want her to ever think that, like, he was trying to, like, disregard her being his mother. But she's, like, 100% for it. Like, you know, let's go find, like, your mother pretty much. Um And at the end of the movie, he finds her, he goes back to the village that he grew up in, and, like, the whole village, like, remembers him, the mother remembers him, they have this really, like, really powerful, emotional, like, reunion, and then at the end of the movie, they show real-life footage of the real Saru, oh, and he does find out that, like, he was mispronouncing his name this whole time, Um, but they show real-life footage of the real Saru meeting his biological mother, and then his adopted mother, and his meeting his biological mother. It's just it's like, oh really, my god! Like, now I gotta look that up. I need a good cry. You know what? Sometimes uh, you just need a good cry, Tia. It's such a good cry. It was such an emotional like moment. Like the whole movie is really well done. Um, you know, because it's like you have that, and on top of that, uh, you know, because Saru is like this well-behaved child, but when they adopt like the other child, there's obviously maybe like a little like something off about him so things are a little bit more challenging with him you know and then as they grow up you know it's just this whole entire thing and it's you know it's emotional obviously but it's really heartfelt and it has this like really beautiful ending and and I just I loved it so much and I was like wow I really like this guy Jeff Patel I think that he needs to be in everything now so Lion is going to be my number five. You know, I was going to say, 
what's wild is I feel like I can relate with this because as I told you, you know, it's like um, I have two cousins and they were adopted from India because my aunt and uncle, they wanted to have children. And my uncle, uh, my great uncle, which he's passed away now, but his, uh, he had testicular cancer and he couldn't have children. So they adopted from India. And I remember, you know, them talking about how it was just the absolute best day of their life and, you know, getting to get them, which there's, uh, they're, which I always thought they were related, but like, which, you know, through adoption, you know, they are, but they, uh, they, uh, they came from two separate orphanages. And you think about, I, I've always wondered if they would want to try to find them, which they went to India before to like reconnect with, uh, you know, with their heritage and everything. But, uh, you know, and my great uncle, he ended up getting testicular cancer again and passing away. But you think about people that adopt how badly they want these children in their lives. So thinking about, you know, Nicole Kidman's character, you know, adopting, I, I find it very sweet. You know what I mean? It's very touching at like a personal level level for it because I love my cousins and you could only imagine what if they were in that situation where they simply just got separated you know what I mean yeah it was one of those things where it's like it really was just like an accident say um Saru and like his brother were on a train and they got lost and oh you find out that the brother died that day which really sucks um, but you know, it's just like one of those things, like a complete mistake, right? Like went How off, the you know, from the, um, shit. I think he just kind of got like stuck on the freaking train or something like that. Uh, mm, he was killed by a train. It said that the same night that they were separated as children. Um, so that's you know, wild. That's, a, that's sad. Yeah, so it's just like one of those things where he literally just got displaced and because he couldn't, you know, communicate properly with anyone else, he just gets, like, shifted into an adoption agency. And, you know, and it, there's definitely that case of they didn't really even care to try to find his real, you know, like, family or something. It was just like, oh, here, we can put him in an orphanage and, you know, adopt him out to some, you know, rich white folks. Uh, and, you know, for and, and you think about like the the overpopulation issue in a lot of these countries. It's like how how many children they must be getting through these orphanages, and how many are being given up. It's like you wonder does that lack of caring just lead into that because of like it's kind of like when you deal with DHS and they're just so mean to you, and you're like I haven't done anything, and then you go well. How much have they dealt with that they're just now funneling through, which isn't a great excuse for a lack of uh, empathy, if you know what I mean? Well, yeah, and, you know, and Nicole Kidman's character and her husband, they are just you know, just looking to have a children because they can't have children. They're, you know, middle-aged at this point, and they're like, all right, let's just, you know, adopt a child and give them, you know, hopefully a better life because they're quite – like, well-off, I believe, so it's, like, uh-huh. and they're giving them, but it's a really endearing movie, uh, Nicole Kidman is great in it, uh, Dev Patel is great, and the ending is just a really sweet ending, so that's definitely my number five, 
Um, Brittany, what is your number four? I am going to go with, but let me look at my list here to see which one I would like to have more because I know we're going to be, uh, I'm going to go with uh, Zodiac. Because, Ooh. oh, I know, I, I thought it was a big one. We know of the uh, the unsolved murder case of a serial killer called the Zodiac Killer that would uh, send these uh, cryptic messages uh, to the news outlets and the police, basically, uh, uh, what's the word for it, um, Oh, mocking them for not being able to get him. Uh, because that's the thing about, we learn about serial killers that once they stay on the loose long enough, it's like they almost want to be caught. They want that thrill of being like, oh, you'll never catch me. It's very cat and mouse. Uh, I can't remember. Was Zodiac uh, before or after the first Iron Man? Because I'm trying to remember if the Zodiac... Uh, if Zodiac was where Robert Downey Jr. was starting to come back into the role or if he got that role because of being an Iron Man. Because as we know, with Robert Downey Jr.'s past with drugs, uh, it was very hard for him to get that second chance. And to just see him in his element was, as the uh, detective, was very interesting. Uh, the whole movie itself, I... I love murder mysteries. Uh, and as you know, sometimes I get scared with scary movies, but this one was just so interesting about what we think back to uh, these cases that take the media by storm and like, you know, this was before our time, I believe, I think because it was in the 80s, I think, or the 70s, which I think it was the 80s. And what the, like, uh, what everything was going through and getting these messages and how it must have taken the media by storm. But you just see this desperation to catch this guy, which they never end up doing. And I think in a world where we're so used to movies having, like, an answer to everything at the end and going, yeah, they never found him. They got very close, or they may have, but didn't have enough evidence, which it is interesting. I think there was one suspect that died, and ever since then, there's been no more murders connected like that. You have to wonder, huh, was that the guy? Was that the one that did it? Very much like uh, Jack the Ripper uh, type effect to it. And I think that's especially why it kind of t- took everything. But the movie itself is so well done. I love the air of it, the vibe of it. But also just to see um, how these characters are clamoring to kind of get answers and how they're not there. But uh I love Robert Downey Jr. He was great in it. He was very intense, but also uh, kind of scary. I kind of remember being, I haven't seen the movie in so long. I kind of remember being slightly intimidated by him, but that might be just because he's so gorgeous that your brain's like, (laughs) does not compute. (laughs) Have, Have you seen Zodiac? I've seen Zodiac. So it came out in 2007. The first Iron Man came out in 2008. So you have to think that he probably filmed these movies very close to each other. Um, and I love that in Zodiac, literally the three main people have gone on to be in Marvel because Mark Ruffalo was oh, also yeah. in it as, yes, as well as Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, and they were all three of them like fantastic. I think probably Jake Gyllenhaal, if you would say, was probably the quote unquote main character. Um, 
And I watched it when I was going through my little bit of Jake Gyllenhaal, like, you know, session back in the summer. But it was really well done. And I thought that it was really great seeing these actors together. As you said, Robert Downey Jr. was fantastic in it because his character went from not really caring about this whole thing to, like, we see how it kind of, like, wrecked him like, he got so emotionally invested that he, like, lost his job. He was, like, living like a hobo. Uh, Mark Ruffalo's character is the cop who kind of is just, like, I'm just doing my job and shit like that. He's invested but clearly doesn't let it, like, overtake him. Like, it, like, affects Jake Gyllenhaal and Robert Downey Jr.'s character like nobody else. Like, they obsess over it. And Mark Ruffalo is the one that kind of comes out of it more unscathed just because, he's a little bit more professional, even though he also is getting uh, really caught up with it. But I do remember before watching Zodiac, I was like, how did they make a movie? They never caught the Zodiac killer. And I do remember being a little, like, let down by – the movie as a whole was great, but the end I was a little let down with because there is no conclusion. Um, It just kind of ends, but – uh, the murders did happen in the late 60s, early 70s. So the guys, pro- if if they never caught him and it wasn't that one dude that they assumed that it was, the guy's probably dead at this point. I was going to say, you know, and to, um, uh, by the way, I was re-looking. Robert Downey Jr. was, a, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Robert Downey Jr. were the reporters, and uh, yeah. Mark Ruffalo, and uh, I always want to call him Mark Buffalo, uh, but Mark Ruffalo <laughs> was one of the investigators, and Anthony Edwards, I believe. Yeah, yeah, um, and Mark Ruffalo was rocking that, like, really great freaking fro of his. Uh, <laughs> so Golly. I, I appreciate I appreciated it on that level. Yeah, <laughs> this is Tia, and she approves of this message. <laughs> Mark Ruffalo is not a bad-looking guy. He's a fantastic actor. He's going to be in, like, some show where he literally plays, like, murder twins or something. And I'm just like, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. But, I'm here for it. We uh, love murder. <laughs> uh, Jake Gyllenhaal always does a fantastic job of playing a completely unhinged individual, and Robert Downey Jr. is just pretty much doing Robert Downey Jr., and we love him every second for it. So I really have nothing bad at all to say about Zodiac except for the fact that, you know, the ending was a little bit of a letdown, but I can get over that. I still think that Zodiac is probably one of the best movies um, in the crime drama, and it's just great seeing those three, like, act together in that capacity. No, I I agree. I agree. You know, it made me. Uh, I do want to see more Mark Ruffalo stuff, and I, you know, I didn't think much about uh, Jake Gyllenhaal when I was younger because I think you know, I, we both know I had so much trouble getting into watching full-on movies that uh, a lot of those movies that Jake Gyllenhaal was known for, I never actually watched. But you clearly with them. I was going to say, you Would clearly you? were not a part of the Donnie Darko uh, error because people my age in high school, like, ate that shit up. We were, like, quoting it and fucking shit. Like, Jake Gyllenhaal was, like, a god to us. 
Well, you are a goth, so of course that Donnie Darko and all that shit, I mean, that sounds like something right up your alley, Tia. Exactly, but um, I love that you put Zodiac down. I think that 100% deserves to be on this list. Um, we are killing it right now. we got three more spots going on, uh, so I'm going to hit the next one just for the sake of time. Um, and it's going to be a movie, cause, just because I like when we get like to breathe a little and talk about films. Uh, but I am going to do a movie that, you know, obviously has one of my favorite actors in it and surprisingly has an actor that I always say I don't like, but my mom pointed out that some of my favorite movies have him in it. And I'm like, all right, I guess I have to kind of give you credit for that. So it's going to be Argo. Um, and that obviously stars Ben Affleck. He uh, he directed this movie as well. Huh? I just I was laughing because you had such a hate boner for uh, Ben Affleck. I know, I know, but like I say that, like I'm like, oh, screw Ben Affleck, and my mom's like, all of your movies are Ben Affleck with it, and she's kind of right. Like I like Argo. The Accountant, um, freaking, there was one other movie that, like, if I think about it, it's like he was in, and I was like, shit, I hate that she's right. <laughs> right, right. You're going to learn your mom's always right. I know, I know. I just have to accept it at this point. But, yeah, so Argo, um, actually, it won an Oscar, and it's so crazy because I didn't even, like, know about this shit happening it's just so surreal to me that something like this was like a thing but it's and I'm giving the bastardized version of it you know obviously so at some point um there was a lot of unrest uh between America and Iran and it got to the boiling point where Iranian students decided to pretty much take over the U.S. embassy um and during this riot uh, six Americans were able to escape. And they obviously knew that their life was going to be really in danger, so they had to pretty much seek shelter elsewhere, and the Canadian embassy took them in. Now, while the Iranian uh, students were taking over the American embassy, um, America's pretty much like they're safe in a way because they're like hostages, so they have to like, you know, in order to not pretty much do a full-scale war. Like, the students kind of know that they can't, like, do anything to these hostages. So, believe it or not, they're, like, the safest one. But these six Americans are completely... But these six Americans are completely fucked because if they're found out, they're going to get killed and the Canadian embassy is going to get, like, freaking killed. And at this point, the Canadian government doesn't want them there anymore because they're, like, that's too much of a risk. So it's like, okay, how do we get these guys out? And they know that, like the Americans just can't come in and, like, grab them out. It's just going to be, like, horrific. And they go through all these, like, scenarios of how to try to get these Americans out. And finally, Ben Affleck's character, who's pretty much, like, this is his thing, is extraction, he comes up with this, like, crazy notion that he's, like, we're going to pretend to be a Canadian film crew that is on set in Iran for this, like, sci-fi space movie, and the six Americans are all Canadian, like, film crew people. And it's so insane because it's, like, it does, like, the CIA is, like, that's never going to be possible, but it's, like, they find 
help with like real life Hollywood people who like were actually given like medals at some point. Like I think his name is John Chambers. He was like a real life uh, sci-fi movie like costume set designer. He's like uh, credited. He's credited with the one who like you know came up with Spock's like pointy ears. And they get, like, him involved. They get, and so it's, like, they're pretty much, like, we have, yeah, it's a fake movie, but it has to look real. So we have to, like, really cast people. We have to really have, like, a script reading. We have to have publicity. We have to have a, like, production room and shit like that. So it's, like, they put together this movie, Argo, that they're, like, you know, promoting. But it's a completely fake movie. And they go there, and they give the Americans, like, all their fake passports. They go through, like, you know the whole feel of what their cover stories are. And, of course, Scoot McNary's in there, and he's just like, this sounds fucking crazy and is never going to work, and you you want us to risk our lives for some crazy shit. And Ben Affleck's character is like, man, my whole specialty is extraction. Believe me, this is going to work. And at some point, you're like, it's not going to work. They get to the airport finally at some point, and, like, the Iranian soldiers, like, pull them aside, and you know, like, it's never going to work. Um, and Scoot McNary's character, who was like the most skeptical, who felt, who seems like he couldn't retain any of his cover story, he just like comes out and like explains the whole plot of the fucking movie, like completely convincing these Iranians. And then finally, the Iranians are like, all right, well, we got to call the production company and see if it's even true, right? So John Goodman's yeah. in it, and he plays John Chambers, and his whole thing was that him and this other guy were supposed to wait by the phone. But they had been told by the CIA that it's going to be shut down. And they're like, well, let's just go for a drink before we shut everything down. So just as the, as the Iranian soldiers are calling, it's like, oh, my God, don't hear the phone. They're going to know. And, like, just as the Iranian soldiers about to put the phone down, John Chambers, like, fucking comes running in and, like, grabs the phone. He's like, Hello. oh, my gosh. And- <laughs> so they finally, like, get on the plane. Everything's happy. They were able to extract it. And it's one of those things where, like, the CIA had to deny it. They had to give all the credit to the Canadian government, which, would, you know, this definitely helped. You know, that's why yeah. I'm not saying that they didn't help. But the CIA couldn't, like, give any credit for it. And Ben Affleck's character, like, pretty much had, like, a silent, like, medal ceremony. Um, and it wasn't until, like, I think Ronald, not Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton or something. It wasn't until, like, freaking 10 or 20 years later that they were, like, finally were able to admit that, like, this was an operation that happened. So it was crazy. I love. I found myself loving it. Like I watched it, and I was like, "All right, I'm just here for Scoot McNary." And then I was like, "I love this movie." Like I found myself just like watching it like every day. You're gonna for, watch like, it again whole... today. I'm already calling it. I'm just saying, it's such a good movie. I was like, this movie is so great. I'm like, it feels like intense. It feels hopeful. It feels hopeless. I was like, there's so much crazy shit in it. I was like, I love this. The ending, you feel so validated. I was like, this movie is so great. And there's a line in it where, like, they're doing, like, the read-through, right, for the movie. And so uh, all these reporters are trying to ask, like, the people involved, like, questions. And one of the guys who's, like, helping with John Chambers and Ben Affleck's character is like, the guy's like, so why is it called Argo? And he's like, I don't know. And he's like, you don't know why the movie's called Argo? He's like, no. And he's like, 
you know, but this is your movie. And he's like, yeah, so. And he's like, so why is it called Argo? And he's like, how about this? Argo, fuck yourself. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I was like, going to so say, your obsession with Scoot McNary and these characters or, like, these actors are the reason you find so many good movies. You're like, I came for the Scoot, but I stayed for the Argo. That's like before I pass it to you, Kanan has done started this thing every Friday, um, called Film Suggestion Friday and he's been asking me for like help in finding movies to suggest to people. So this week I suggested Sweet Virginia. And I think last week I suggested some I think I suggested like Snowpiercer or something. And he's like, I'm seeing a trend here and I was like, Yes. I was like, My love for these actors have brought me to many good movies. <laughs> right, right. It's just what it that is. But anyway, I was so many times. Yeah, exactly. Like don't hate on us. But so yeah, my uh number three is Argo. I know you haven't seen it, Brittany, but I haven't talked quite enough about it. I'm about to say, I've heard you, I heard when the obsession started, but I think it, the movies that can make you hate, I mean, like, love these actors that you do not like, you know, we talk all the time about how there are, you know, bad directors that make good actors look bad, and we have to go, well, you know, it's not exactly their fault, you know, they just haven't been given a good script. But then there's times that you get a really great director where everybody's working together and it's so cohesive and you have to, it makes you realize like, hey, man, this is why it got all these, uh, I think it got pretty highly awarded, didn't it? Like, it, isn't it pretty? It won, uh, it won the Oscars that year. It's just so crazy. This movie is like completely like, you know, based around true events. And it's like, how nuts is that? The CIA literally decided to, like, come up with a fake movie to, like, extract six Americans from Iran. I know. Like, when I heard about it uh, back when it first came out, I thought it was all fiction. Like, you know, I was (laughs) like, well, that's interesting. But to actually know it was real, it's like, man, you think about how everything had to come together, like, exactly right for this to even happen. It's so crazy. Yeah, and they show, like, in the movie, obviously, how uh, tensions even started, like, what, you know, even America's part in the whole thing was as well, because, you know, it wasn't, like, 100%, you know, Iran, like, America did, you know, America did what it does best and shove its nose into places that it shouldn't, and that was a huge cause of the events in this film, and I just think that, like, how it was done the pacing was really good. It just felt like, you know, you felt like what was at stake, and then you also felt, like, really good at some parts, especially, like, when they're putting together the fake movie, but then it continuously brought you back to the fact that, like, there's real life lives at, you know, risk here, and they very well could end up dying. You know, it's wild to me. Like on like it, and it's not like to be like political or anything. It's just that it's interesting that the people that end up paying for like uh, these feuds between governments and who gets pissed off is it's like is 
it was the embassy like people that were there who probably you know had nothing really to truly truly do with the affairs that were pissing people off so much but they're the ones that get the uh, the brunt of it that their lives are in danger for something they can't really change and i always find that kind of interesting that that's the people who made the most like yeah when we talk about like children getting hurt during wars and you go man it really you know it just well I mean it is always the innocence and you know they do show in the embassy like you know the Americans obviously were concerned with themselves but there is a part where they there were Iranian people who were applying for American citizenship and um, you know like Scoot and his whole crew knew that they need to get those people out as well this is like if oh yeah because you know, those people are going to be considered traitors. Yeah, so we need to get the so like they did they weren't just like thinking about themselves they were thinking about you know the others as well so it was just crazy. Um, Argo is probably one of the best like you know put together uh, real life story movies and I just I really love it so that's my number three. Uh, Brittany, what is your number two? My number. Was it number two? Oh, like, oh, my number two. I, okay, I got confused. I was like, do I have another one after this? I had a blonde no. moment. You can forgive me. Uh, okay. I'm going to go with uh, the King's Speech. Because oh, that was I, on my list, too. I love this. I'm sorry. sorry. I'm sorry. No, it wasn't so my number we, one, but go ahead. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, as we know, it's like with uh, Prince Albert, who uh, he was second in line for the throne, I believe. Uh, this was around the time that they were entering World War II because of, uh, I think if I remember correctly, uh, the British minister at the time was very uh, blindsided by uh, Adolf Hitler believing like, oh, we can just have a truce and be fine with each other. Uh, and how that they were about to lead into World War II. But the thing with Prince Albert is that he has a speech impediment. Like, he has trouble speaking in public. As we know, it's like with these high officials and with royalty, they have to give these speeches. They have to, like, uh, basically uh, raise up their people and kind of bring them together through these speeches. And as we've seen with many uh, conflicts and very many big events. Like, okay, we have uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and his I Have a Dream speech, or we have uh, or uh, Abraham Lincoln uh, giving his, uh, I'm trying to think of the, I'm getting my words confused. But basically having to go through and to have a leader that can't give a speech is very hard. And, you know, Prince Albert talks about, how you know his brother made fun of him constantly, and his bro- and his father was always telling them to give him a hard time about it to try to bring it out of him, but it was only making it worse that his fear of speech, like he tries to tell his children a story, and and just and as we see, you know, he starts taking these lessons, which I'm trying to remember his name, but he wasn't truly oh the speech therapist, but he was actually an Australian actor who, you know, he was more of an actor than a speech therapist, but we find out he's not really even able to officially be trying to help someone like that 
But the the man explains that when all these people were coming back from World War One and they couldn't speak and you know nobody was there to help him, he was the one to help these soldiers, and so he ends up helping the prince. And as we discover, uh, his brother, who uh, when their father passes away, he becomes the king. But he's in love with he's in love with a American divorcee, I believe. I can't remember if she was American, but. Uh, that was a big scandal at the time that she was divorced and she was going to marry uh, the king. And, you know, he ends up stepping down and Prince Albert takes uh, the throne. And we realize that he's about to have to tell everybody, Hey, we're going to war. We're going to war with Germany and having it like that speech was such a big one, like to bring the people together and kind of quell their fear. And it was just so powerful and I feel like, you know, it's like I took speech therapy for years because I had a, because uh, I couldn't pronounce S's. So I imagine what it would have been like to, if I had had much more of a fear to speak and being put on the spot where you're like, you're supposed to lead these people and you can't even tell a story to your children and how he freezes up. And it's just like, it's very uh, encouraging. We watched it for my oral communication uh, where I I froze up on my first speech. Like I completely froze and I ended up crying afterwards. And I had to think about like, you know, and so to watch that movie afterwards and going, man, you know, it was very inspiring. And to think of it being real, I just, I don't know. I just think that movie is incredible. The King's Speech is one of the best movies. Um, I watched it, and I was completely blown away with how well done it was, how, as you said, inspiring. Um, Seeing Colin Firth, who plays the king, you know, with his stutter and how bad it was. Um, And then seeing him going through the lessons with Jeffrey Rush's character, who I, I love their first interaction because, you know, I forget what year it was obviously before uh, World War II, right before, but, you know, the different type of medicine techniques because Colin's character goes to a doctor and the doctor's like, keep smoking. It helps open up the, uh, the airways. And then as soon as he goes to Jeffrey Rush, he's like, what are you doing? And like pretty much smacks the thing out of his hand because he's like, that's just going to make your stutter worse. It's going to like make your freaking throat freeze up. He's like, what's wrong with you? Um, but they're like, <laughs> Their relationship was so well done. Jeffrey Rush is such a phenomenal actor, as is Colin Firth. And then when you find out that he's so patient, um, and then once you find out the truth about Jeffrey Rush's character, but then him still helping him. And I love at the end of that movie when it's like, you know, time for Colin Firth to make that speech. And doesn't he pretty much insist that Jeffrey Rush come with him? because it's like they weren't going to let him in at first because they're like, who is this civilian? He's like, no, 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 he he comes with me, you know? And it was right. like just so, it's so well done. And I love that speech at the end. Like, it's so powerful because it's real-life events and it was setting up for, you know, a time that they're really going to have to get into, and that's something to tell a country that, you know, we're about to go to war. Certainly not anything that happens these days is just like, hey, we just sent troops there, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, we don't, we don't get those type of speeches anymore, but uh, 
the King's Speech was really a phenomenal movie that absolutely deserves to be, like, this high up. I just had it on my list because of how phenomenal it was, um, and I'm glad that you put it because it wasn't going to be my number one. So, uh, But it certainly deserves to be, like, within the top two because of how good it was. My grandmother has a friend who has a bad stutter, um, and they went to go see this movie, and my grandma was kind of like, you know, are you going to be okay with this movie because, you know, you have a bad stutter, and the main character has a bad stutter, but I think she found the movie, like, uplifting because, it, yeah. you know, you had all these people who were making fun of him, but in the end it was the person who showed him the most encouragement and the most that was the person to help him, you know, achieve uh you know, to be able to do this speech without stuttering. Makes me want to rewatch it again. <laughs> it certainly does. No, it's been years since I've watched that movie, and I really would watch it again because it was so well done. Um, and it was just, you know, it was like uplifting and just really inspiring. And I think that that movie, on top of Quills, if anyone out there has seen Quills, that is some of Jeffrey Rush's best freaking work. I know we love him from the Pirates of the Caribbean movie as uh, Captain Barbosa, but freaking the King's Speech and Quills is like some of the best acting from him. So uh, phenomenal job with putting King's Speech on here. I just, I, it's like I love you for this, Brittany. Like I feel like our friendship just unlocked an achievement. Knowing that, like, yeah, did it just deepen? Yes, yes. Uh, but we are down to the number one of our top ten movies based on real life. Um, and I'm just going to go through uh, the movies really quick. So we have Lawless, Wolf of Wall Street, Titanic, Puncture, The Imitation Game, Lion, Zodiac, Argo, The King's Speech, and before I get to number one, I want to throw out my honorable mentions now for some reason, just in case you don't have time, but um, 12 Years a Slave, 13 Hours, Legend, The Fighter, Ford vs. Ferrari, Walk the Line, and Remember the Titans. Those are my honorable mentions. Oh, those are Um, some good ones. Thank you. So my number one is going to be a movie that is similar to the Titanic in this in the sense that I will never watch it again. Uh, but that's how good <laughs> I love the honesty here. And so the movie is The Pianist. And it was with Adrian oh. Brody. And this movie absolutely, like, I thought to myself, I love movies that center around World War II. I've watched plenty of them. I enjoy that era of movie, um, you know, making and I went into it thinking that I'm just going to watch another movie based around World War II. And it completely just felt to me for a moment where it wasn't even a movie. It was like a window into uh, this period that was horrific. Um, and I found myself like not smiling at all during the movie and feeling completely just Not like, a happy oh, movie. My, not a happy movie. Just like, oh, my God. So... Adrian Brody plays this really uh, talented pianist during Poland right as the Nazis invade and force them into ghettos, uh, obviously kill a lot of fucking people during the Holocaust. 
Uh, and it, and it's, it's terrible, right? It's terrible because there's that some moments in it where, and uh, just like certain moments that really just had me like, oh my God, there's a moment where he's watching uh, from his apartment across the street to this family having dinner. These Nazis come in and they say, you know, everyone stand up and there's the grandpa who's in a wheelchair and they're like, well, he can't stand up. And they, and they just, push him off the balcony, like nothing. They just push him off the balcony because he couldn't stand, you know, or there were times where Adrian Brody was like walking in a single file and the Nazis would tell them to, and they would just shoot like three or four of them and they'd be like, all right, the rest keep going. Um, And you just, you, you saw everything, uh, how it deteriorated. It went at first from being like, okay, it's just an occupation to them, you know, being thrown into the train. Like, there was at some point where they, the Nazis told the Jewish people, like, okay, get all your shit together, like, we're going to go. And they're all, like, waiting online, and then they're being, like, tossed into these trains, and, you know, their, their uh, you know, suitcases are just pretty much being, like, thrown out. And this one Jewish guy who, like, they would make Jewish people be pretty much, like, officers to, like, help out. And this one guy, like, pulls Adrian Brody away, and he's like, what are you doing? I have to be with my family. And he's like, I'm saving your life, because those people obviously went to, like, the gas chambers and shit. Um, So you just, you see, like, the deterioration of the ghetto, and eventually it happens where, like, the Nazi, like, no one's around, right? Um, And at some point, Adrian Brody's literally just, like, hiding uh, from these Nazis, because they think they've killed everyone and he's just like hiding. And at some point he actually like kind of befriends one of the Nazis because one of the Nazis discovers him, but discovers that he can play the piano. So he's pretty much just like, you know, if you play for me, because I haven't heard music in so long, I'll bring you bread and everything. And he like gives Adrian Brody like a coat of his because it's getting cold and shit like that. And there's, at the end, uh, the Russians come in to pretty much, like, kick ass and take names. And they, you, so you're in this movie, right, the whole time. You're seeing Adrian Brody survive all this horrificness. And at the end of the movie, he, like, comes out, and the Russians go to shoot at him because he's wearing a Nazi coat. Oh, and, you're like, no. And you're like, oh, my God, is this how it ends? And he's like... So he's like, don't shoot, don't shoot, I'm Polish, I'm Polish. And the Nazis, uh, not the Nazis, the Russians are like, they can hear him, right? You know, his, his voice, obviously, and his accent. They're like, oh, okay. And the guy's like, well, why the fuck are you wearing that coat? And he's like, it was cold. <laughs> and it's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. But, why are you trying to destroy my heart before we're done with it? You're like, what's well, been a great podcast. You know what you need? A good dose of depression. But so it was based on this real person, and apparently before I pass along to you, um, they had captured the Nazi who had helped out Adrian Brody, and apparently Adrian Brody um, got lawyers and stuff because he tried to get that Nazi released. Um, just pretty much say, like, you know, he he helped me. He was a good person. You know, he just was a, a you know, a Nazi because they forced people, you know, obviously some people didn't want to be Nazis. Um, but it, it never worked out. I think they like executed the guy and stuff like that. But yeah, so it was a very powerful movie. 
like, extremely powerful. Adrian Brody, like, did the performance of a lifetime. I believe he won an Oscar for it. Um, and I think this is why I believe that Adrian Brody, despite you not really seeing him in a whole lot lately, still is, like, one of my favorite actors of all time. He just, just did such a great job. This movie was so, like, it was so real and it was raw in the way that they told the story. And so I won't ever watch it again because there's no, say, like, entertainment value. I know that's... Like, this is just, like, when you want to just be sad type movie. Like, when you just want to feel... And you're feeling sad, and you're like, you know what? Let's be sadder. But uh, you, I was gonna. You watched it. And I was just like, oh my god! I was like, it just it punched me in like the gut for a second, where I was like, holy crap! But I'm sorry. Go ahead. You know, it, it's actually interesting. I, I was thinking about this movie the other day because you know I work at the antique shop, and we have one booth where he sells a lot of World War Two memorabilia. Uh, because he just had, and I think I sold a, because, and it's not for like, oh, people that buy that stuff are just being weird or anything, but it's for the interesting horror, like history of it. And I was looking, I had in my hand uh, a World War II uh, Nazi youth armband, right? And I was just staring at it because like, it's just so crazy. You think back to the past and what this represented and what these people that thought, yeah, we're doing the right thing, and then you see what they did to these people, what they did to the Jewish community and the Romanians, uh, and, like, and homosexual people, and what they did, it's just, like, it was so powerful to see, like, I think he had, uh, the guy had uh, a World War II uh, Japan flag and a Nazi flag, and you look at them, and you go, man, these really were from that time period, and really what you know, they were there, and it's just, like, it really takes you back, and you think about, man, that that movie would, I, I can't watch that movie, too. I probably will never no, see that it would movie. Break it would hit too hard. I'm, like, too, too real for me. That's why it's, like, uh, my honorable mention, even though I haven't seen it, would be, like, uh, Schindler's List. Oh, yeah, would yeah, be yeah. A bit. yeah, yeah, but, ugh. That, that's a good one, Tia, but that really hits hard. It hits hard, like, certainly, and I will say really quick, you know, it's one of those, like, real things. Like, when I say, like, it has, like, no entertainment value because it's, like, you know, you and I, Brittany and I, for all those who don't know, uh, we met doing fan fiction. Um, and I remember years ago I told you about the, pian- the pianist and you were, you know, thinking about, you know, story writing and stuff like that, you know, because you haven't seen the movie. And I was like, I can't do this. I was like, because it doesn't feel like it should be something that's even, you know, written about, you know. And it's, to me, similar to, uh, I don't know if you saw a few years ago, the project of, um, there was all these people going to, like, the Holocaust uh, Museum in Germany and, like, posting selfies and, like, you know, standing oh, up on things. Oh, influences going to, like, the concentration camps and the gas chambers and, yeah. And so someone online, like, photoshopped it to, like, you know, where they're doing all these selfies and stuff, but it's in the middle of, like, people dying and stuff like that. So, like, let them know, like, you're doing all this, like, hooray fun stuff in where people were, like, horrifically killed, you know? And it's, like, that kind of somberness that I feel like the pianist, like, brings, you know? 
Um, so like to me, like self with like their dying like grandma, and I'm like, why? Why oh, do you feel like you, you have to like immortalize it like this? Like, there's a difference between like when people take a picture of like the last like embrace of like two elderly couples, like to preserve like that love. But even that hurts. Even that's like, does it have to be an image? Does it have to be? You know what I mean? It's like, what do you do? But at no point should you be, like, taking a selfie with, like, at a funeral, look at my dead grandma. Because never once, it's like, with my granny passing away, I never, I didn't even really have my phone that entire, like, it with anything. And I couldn't imagine being like, hey, guys, at my granny's funeral and posting it on Facebook. It's just, I don't understand people. Uh, thank you, because I see that sometimes, and it's like, me, you know, my grandfather's in hospice and he's dying and he's hooked up to like life support and they take a selfie and I'm like, what? I'm like, what kind of sick? Or like when they take a picture, like, oh, they're unplugging it and I'm like, what? Why are you doing this? I just don't. It's like people have become so connected to social media that it's like not, I don't know, so like a Black Mirror episode. It's very much like a Black Mirror episode. Um, Yeah, no, I don't. I don't agree with that at all, but, um, yeah. Did you have any, I know you mentioned the Schindler's List, but did you have any honorable mentions? I'm trying to think. Let me look back at my list. I, I think I said the ones that I wanted to say. There was a few others that I remember that I thought would have been great for the list, but uh, I hadn't personally seen them, but I knew that they were based on real events, but uh, I can't think of them right now no, right now for some reason though well there um oh there's one that was about 9-11 I'm trying to remember the name of it that I always like I can't watch that you know yeah or uh I'm trying to remember uh I'm trying to remember what the other movie was I'm sorry I'm pulling a blank I I ever since <laughs> that six-hour drive yesterday my brain is like nope I don't want to function anymore no, it's perfectly fine. Like, I won't ever watch a movie about 9-11. I freaking live in New York, okay? But, um, yeah. which one calls it? I, I really had wanted to put Ford versus Ferrari on the list just because I absolutely thought that um, freaking Christian Bale was 100% phenomenal. If this is, like, the top 11, he would have been on this list. Uh, so, I mean, I think that we freaking killed it. I think that we did some really fantastic movies that have, were based on real life events. Um, I'm just I think like this was excited. one of my favorites we've done. I think so too. I think that we came out with some really great movies um, with some fantastic performances that you know because I think we did like a top ten worst recently, and it's like, you know, let's get some positivity out here, even though most of these movies are uh, sad as shit. Positive? <laughs> well, you know, when I say positive, I mean, like, us appreciating the movies as opposed to being like, this movie was crap. <laughs> this movie sucked ass. The whole. The whole entire... <laughs> That's naughty. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I feel like out of these I'm most likely probably to go back and watch like Zodiac because it's like 
if makes sense, less emotionally invested in that than all the others, just because it's like, hey, the others will kill me. And no, for some I agree. Reason, I agree. I just saw the image you sent. I just saw that image. I see you, Tia. I see you, thirsty girl. That's the show that Mark Ruffalo is going to be playing two people in. And I'm kind of like, that's a trend now. Really quick, it's like we had the movie, not the movie, the show on Netflix with Paul Rudd, um, where Living With Yourself, where he played, you know, two people. Um, and then we had Legend, which was Tom Hardy playing both Reggie and Ronnie Cray. And it's like now we have Mark Ruffalo playing two people. And I'm like, it's just a trend where they're like, hey, you want to, like, do double the work? <laughs> like, to me, that's all it feels like. Like, no, 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 you're not just playing one character. You're going to play two characters. And both of them are the you main characters. So you're just... What? I said I'd be like, pay me double if I'm playing two people's jobs. Yeah, exactly. Like, pay like me the, the pay me the freaking uh, salary that you would have paid for a second actor. But yeah, uh, Brittany, while we have about like three minutes left, please plug your shit and let everyone know where <laughs> we can find you. And what we can, huh? You said, uh, just the way you said that made me laugh. Uh, but <laughs> you can you can always find me on Twitch at itty bitty Brit. Uh, it would be twitch.tv slash itty bitty Brit. I've uh, been playing a lot of Resident Evil lately. I didn't realize I would be such a fan of it. Uh, you can watch me uh, scream, cry, uh, like run away from a guy named Mr. X because X going to give it to you. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at IttyBittyBrit0. It's a good way to see uh, when I'm going live or if I have a schedule change. I normally stream Monday through Friday, uh, 9 p.m. until whenever I decide to sleep because I am trash. But I normally don't do <laughs> Tuesday because I have classes. But been really enjoying it. We have a great community. Uh, I really enjoy everybody being there. And uh, we do have a saying that if you follow me, you're not allowed to leave. You're stuck with me forever. So before you make that decision, you need to think long and hard because I'll keep you forever. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's kind of like how I am with you with this podcast. You're never leaving. I don't care how big you get onto it. It's just you know where your bread and butter is. <laughs> All right, right, exactly. But um, yeah. So please make sure that you check that out with Brittany. Um, and as for the top ten, you know we record every single weekend. Um, I want to say successfully, Brittany, that since. I took over, what, about a year ago or so? We have never missed a weekend. So uh, please oh make sure that you I'm very determined. Uh, but, yeah, make sure you please check out the top ten. Uh, next week we'll probably be doing it on Saturday night because I'll be having my birthday party on Sunday. But make oh, sure you shit. check Make sure you check that out. You can find all of our amazing articles and podcasts on geekvibesnation.com. We do opinion pieces, movie reviews, TV show reviews, and highlights galore. Um, then, you know, you can obviously find us at on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Uh, we're everywhere pretty much. Just searching Geek Vibes Nation. We're, in, we're there. We're in an infection. 
Well, and now the podcasts are on YouTube, so you have no excuse. You have everywhere that you can find our podcast, and it's not just us at the top ten. It's the Geek Vibes Live, Geeks Against the Grain. We have They Call This a Movie, Stranger Danies, Demon Nerd, Cape and Castle, just really fantastic people that anything that you're looking for, you can find a podcast to listen to. And just please make sure that you always like and subscribe. Um, Until next time, I guess, Brittany, have a good day. Y'all have a great day. Thank y'all. See ya.